You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. I don't know if um, anybody remembers, it was a long time ago, but uh, if anybody remembers what I spoke about last time, I, I'm struggling to remember myself, so I would understand if um, nobody else did. I've been on a bit of a, uh, bit of a, I think a bit of a journey actually, a sort of um, questioning about uh, what, about being a sort of what a, a comfortable Christian is and being part of a comfortable church and the sort of dangers of of being too comfortable, I think, in our faith and and settling for sort of comfort, if you like, for want of different words. And last time I had a sort of challenge about living the exciting life that uh, that Jesus led and, and being part of that excitement of the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I did wonder if anybody, and some of you sort of put up your hands and said, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. And I don't know if anybody had any testimonies or any... Any examples of anything that happened after after that last preach? Uh, if the, if not, that's okay. But uh, I don't know if there were any any encouraging stories that uh, people had. It's okay if it's too embarrassing. It's okay. And my own my own story is is not as dramatic as I was hoping. I was kind of expecting that that after that sermon, that the heavens would open, and when I'd walk out onto the street, angels would come down, and I sort of point a finger at someone and zap and they'd be healed and, and then 300 people over here would be converted after I preached. And it, that didn't quite happen. It didn't, you might be surprised to hear, it wasn't quite as revolutionary as I was hoping. And I'll tell you, the first time, so my challenge to myself was really to start praying for people. You know, if I saw people who were ill, then I could sort of pray for them. So the first time I saw somebody, as I came out of East Croydon Station, there was a lady on with her foot in a plaster, and I came out, and I and I was so terrified, I walked straight past her and went into the coffee shop instead. But I came out, I said, God, if she's still there when I come out, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this. So I came out of the coffee shop, and she was still there to my disappointment. Uh, <laughs> so, so I had to, I said something very feeble, like, can I, can I help you at all? And she said, no, no. <laughs> well, Right. And so uh, that, that didn't go very well. The next time was again at Croydon, East Croydon Station and I came off the train and saw someone, um, I think with a, a frame or something, and immediately I turned and literally ran out of the station because I was too scared to, <laughs> to do anything. So it didn't go, it wasn't a great start, I have to be honest. But after that, uh, I did have some opportunities. I went to the, a pub with an ex-colleague of mine and I had some opportunities to share my faith. He was asking questions. His uh, granddad had passed away, and we had a good, we had a really good conversation actually about uh, sharing our faith. And actually, we had an opportunity to pray for the guy who was fixing our roof as well. He came round and was complaining. I've actually forgotten what he was complaining about. I think lack of sleep or something. And we were able to pray for him and, and share some faith. So it wasn't quite the uh, the dramatic revolution that I was. I was hoping for, but actually it was a start, I think, and I'm very keen not to lose that momentum, and, and coming here again has reminded me about that, so I hope those of you who want to join me in that adventure will, will carry on and not lose that momentum. But actually, what I've, what I've got this morning is a little bit heavier, but it's actually part of that same process that I'm going through, not settling for being a comfortable Christian, and th- today I'm going to talk a bit about sin, so it's a little bit heavy. But I'm hoping that actually it will challenge us 
and spur us on not to settle for, for just comfortable lives, but for, for more in God. So, so that's the thing. We are, we are part of a comfortable church, aren't we? We're not, the church isn't persecuted. We don't, we don't get thrown into prison for worshipping. We're able to worship freely. We're able to freely read our Bibles. We're able to talk, really talk about our faith freely. I know sometimes we get, there are cases where people get into trouble for it, but actually there is a great deal of freedom. And generally we have enough money. Generally we have money for things like, Agape meals and speakers and whatever it might be. We're a comfortable church. And I, as I say, I'm realizing more and more that I'm a, I'm a comfortable Christian. I don't have to worry about being persecuted for my faith. I'm not particularly challenged at work for, um, you know, in, in my faith. I'm not persecuted for it. I don't particularly have to worry about where the, the next meal is coming from. My wife does, but I don't have to worry about it. So. <laughs> That was a little joke there. There'll be some more of those coming up during the sermon. I'll, I'll point them out when they come. <laughs> but here we go. So, but, so, so I'm a comfortable Christian. But actually, being comfortable has its own dangers. And I think God's been talking to me a bit about this recently, about being comfortable with sin, about not really being bothered about sin and letting it, and being sort of comfortable to sit with it and, and, and let it be. So I wanted to start off, I wanted to introduce this morning with a little, with a little pricey of Romans, just to, just to walk through and, and just to remind ourselves what happened on the cross. As in the very beginning, we were created to be image bearers of God. We were created to reflect God's glory. We were created to be part of God's kingdom, to be part of what He was doing and to sort of and to spread the, the sort of love and joy and generosity that God has, we were created to, to, to reflect that and to, to bring that about into his world and to, and to create a heaven on earth by reflecting his glory and by glorifying him. But unfortunately, as we, as we read through the story of the Bible, sin derails that project, doesn't it? And it, it gets in the way. And Adam and Eve, we see, first of all, they were... I've said hello to my brother, that's all. Say hello then. And Adam and Eve get, get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're sent into exile because of, because of that sin. And we see it again with the Israelites. They were supposed, they were given the, they, they were rescued from Egypt. They were given the, the law and told how to reflect God's glory. And again, we see that sin got in the way and they, they had a, a disastrous result really. And they were again sent into exile. Um, and sin derailed that project. They ended up in idolatry, not worshipping God, but worshipping pieces of wood and pieces of stone. Because we were supposed to give, as we were created to be image bearers of God, we were given authority and we were given power to, to rule over the world and to, and to create our heaven around us. But instead, because of this idolatry that we see in in the Israelites, we've given that authority over to other things. We've given that authority over to pieces of wood and lumps of metal and other things that we might worship instead of God. And we've given our power to these things and we've become slaves to these things. Slaves to, to sin. Unable to, to escape and unable to be free. But God made that wonderful promise to Abraham, didn't he? He made that promise that he would bless 
all of the nations through Abraham, Abraham and through his children. And God was faithful to that promise. How was God faithful to that promise? In the end. In what, how did God fulfill that promise to Abraham? Something Easter might give you a clue. <laughs> Something happened fairly, we remembered fairly recently. That's right, Jesus. And how did Jesus fulfill that promise? Where? Yes, what did you say? That's right, by dying on the cross. And how did that fulfill the promise? That's right. That's right, on the cross. That was, this is God's amazing rescue plan. On the cross, Jesus dealt with sin. Sin was condemned on the cross. And the amazing thing is, is that we can share in that death. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But actually, it's an incredible thing. Our fleshly, our fleshly bodies, the things which control us with the sin, they can die on the cross with Jesus. And instead, we can share in his new life. That he was raised from the dead with new life. And that we can have that new life as well. Sin was condemned on the cross. And our fleshly bodies were condemned on the cross. And we can have new life. And because our fleshly bodies were were condemned on the cross, died on the cross, it means that we never sin ever again. Hang on, wait, let me let me just go back a minute. I think I may have misunderstood something. We sinned, we were put into exile. Jesus died on the cross to save us. We never have to sin again. Is that is that right? I think I may have missed something there in the story because I I may have I may have missed something in my own life. I think is that true? Is there is there anybody else here who's, who's never sinned since they've become a Christian? I'm I'm pleased it's just not me because otherwise this would have been quite an embarrassing sermon. Is the reality is a little bit weirder, isn't it? It says in Romans 6 verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I think Paul is asking that same question. How can it be if we've died to this, if we've died to our fleshly selves, how can it be that there is still sin in our lives? And yet it's still there. And yet still sin is still part of our lives and part of our experience. So I don't think we have to panic just yet. I don't think we have to start questioning just yet whether we really are Christians or whether, whether we really have been saved. Because actually the writers to the, the writers of the, of the epistles of the letters in the New Testament, actually they were really aware that sin was still, still a part of our lives and still had to be dealt with. And was still a reality. In fact, they're so aware of it. In 1 John, John says, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. He's saying, actually, everybody has still got sin. Everybody has still got sin, and it's something that we still have to, have to deal with. But if that's true, then, then what difference did the cross make? If Jesus died for our sins, and I'm still sinning, then then what happened on the cross? Why I'm still I'm still capable of sin? So what what was the point? Why did Jesus go through all that? If I'm if I'm still in this sinful you know sinful things happening in my life, why did Jesus? What, then what did the cross do? What effect did it have? 
Anybody got any ideas? You paid the price. Okay, what does that mean? You paid the price for us. Sorry, I'm putting on that. <laughs> Our sins are forgiven. So, yeah, okay. So I think that's, that's saying the same thing there. Actually, that although we have this sin, actually we're not we're not judged for it anymore. We've been declared righteous. So that's something that happened on the cross. But what about what about our our behaviour? Because that that changes our status. But surely our behaviour should have changed as well. What what happened to our behaviour on the cross? Any guesses? Say that again. That sounded pretty good. Okay. So, with God's help, that's very interesting. With God's help, we're able to overcome sin. And I think that's that's quite right. On the cross, we changed from being completely slaves to sin and unable to overcome sin, completely unable to do anything about it, to having this new life in Christ. And although sin is still there, it's not got the same controlling power over us that it had before. The powers that controlled us in sin before no longer have that power. Sin is just is, is dying. It's still there, but it's not got the same strength that it had before. We are able to overcome with God's help. We're able to overcome sin in our lives. And it no longer has the same power that it did before. What Paul uh, in Romans talks about no longer living in it. It's like our, where our residence is. You know, whereas before we might have lived in sin, that would have been our, our, our place of residence. Uh, and it would have been around us all the time. Now we're living somewhere else. And although we might still have mementos of where we were before, we might go and visit now and again, it's not where we live anymore. It's something somehow completely foreign. I read an interesting analogy, actually, which I quite liked, and it, and it might help here. It's as though we, were, we used to be fish, and we were changed into human beings, and we're now living on land. And it might be that sometimes we go for a swim in the water, but actually if we decided to live back in the water, we'd soon find that we had some difficulties. We wouldn't be able to breathe, for instance. We wouldn't be able to get our washing dry. It would be that sort of, uh, <laughs> that sort of difficulty. We're living in a completely different state. And although we might splash in the water sometimes, actually we're, we're transformed beings. We, sin is no longer the controlling thing that surrounds us, but is dying inside of us. But it's still, although that's true, it's still quite a big deal. Let's have a quick look at Romans chapter 6. If I can find Romans. I brought a tiny little Bible, which was probably a mistake, because it's hard to find pages. There we go. Romans 6, then verses 12 to 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. I'll just pause, because I can hear rustling of pages. I'll read it again. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies, to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
That's amazing, isn't it? What a powerful thing to end with. Sin will have no dominion over you because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. That sounds like quite a powerful thing to say. And I have to admit, I have to confess, that I'm not sure that's been the reality in my own life. And perhaps in my own life, I've given sin more power than it should have had, sort of willingly let it take control over me, rather than living in the power of God and living in the grace of God. So, I suppose that's kind of good news. The, the, the writers of the Bible knew that sin was still a part of our lives. The bad news is that sin is still a part of our lives. But they've given us actually some really good tools to enable us to overcome it. As, we, as we've said, we can overcome with the, with the help and grace of God. We can overcome. And there's some very practical things that we can do that the, uh, the writers of the New Testament tell us. And the first one is rather surprising. I think when the, um, when the Reformation came, there was this, uh, the reformers were very keen not to have any sort of reference of, uh, of the, of the priesthood sort of lording it over the, the general public. So they got rid of, they got rid of the priests and they got rid of all of the, uh, the, the smells and bells and everything that got in the way. And they got rid of the confessional as well. You remember, I don't, if we're not, we're not part of the sort of Catholic tradition, but I think we're all familiar with the way that you'd go into a little box and the priest would be on the other side and you would tell the priest everything you'd done wrong and he'd, he'd tell you to, um, what you had to do to, to make penance. Say some Hail Marys or, or something similar like that. And I think in their, in their eagerness to clear it, to clear any obstacles, of coming to, to God directly. The reformers sort of chucked all these things away. And I think in some sense, with that sort of confessional idea, they may have thrown the baby out of the bath, baby out of the bathwater, the baby out with the bathwater, uh, when they, when they got rid of this thing. Because actually, confessing our sins to one another is actually a really powerful way of helping us to deal with sin. We read in 1 John, again, verses uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it's confess our sins to God. And in James 5.16, it says confess our sins to one another. That's quite a scary thing to do, isn't it? I don't have, who's confessed their sins to somebody else recently? You don't have to tell me what the sin is. Jeff, that's very good. Well done, Jeff. And I saw another hand. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That's good. But actually... In a, in a healthy church, oddly, it sounds, it sounds counterintuitive, but in a healthy church, all of our hands would go up. Not because we were very sinful people, but because we're so concerned about sin taking hold of us in secret and, and, and taking power over us that we want to be accountable to one another and we want to, to confess to one another and we want to make sure that this sin didn't ruin our lives. But that's a pretty scary thing to do. And the trouble is, because we're a comfortable church, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable doing it, doesn't it? We think if we tell somebody about, this is the thing that I've been struggling with last week, or these, these thoughts were in my head last week, or actually I, I did this thing at work which, which wasn't particularly nice. We think if we tell other people, what are they going to think of us? We've got our sort of comfortable church masks on in the morning, haven't we? We present ourselves as, as the holy 
Christians who um, who are always happy and nothing ever goes wrong. And as soon as we start to dig under that mask and reveal something that's a bit more vulnerable inside, then it gets a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? But actually, if we don't do this, if we're not honest with each other and are accountable to one another, then sin, that's where sin can hide behind these masks and take control of our lives and destroy our um, destroy our lives. And so confession is one thing, but there's also the other side of the coin to confession as well, and it's, it's the person hearing the confession. Because actually confession doesn't stop there. If you're listening to a confession, then that kind of makes you, you're sort of accountable to each other, doesn't it? And being accountable to each other means that we have a, we give, we give each other the right to, to check up on each other and, and make sure that we're, that we're doing okay. That this sin that we're struggling with is, is not taking over, that we're able to deal with it. And actually the Bible gives us rights to, uh, rebuke each other and to, 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 to have that love, that love for one another that would, would go as far as to step into somebody else's lives and say, hang on, what's going on here? What, what is going on? Is this what you should be doing? Is this really good for you? It says in Matthew uh, chapter 18, it talks about if someone sins, then, then tell them what their sin is. Tell them what's going on, what is wrong. And if they don't listen to you, then, then grab a friend and, and take your friend with you and he can be a witness and go and tell them again. You know, this is what's going on. This isn't good. This isn't how you should be living. And if that still doesn't work, then, then take it to the church and the church can decide and, and either, either chuck them out or, um, hopefully they'll repent and, and change their ways. That's not really the point. The point is that we have the right to, to step in. And I think the uh, the common word now is an intervention, isn't it? You sort of sit someone down and your family gets together and you say, we need to do something about this. Well, this is our, this is our family. And we have a right to intervene in each other's lives. And the trouble is, again, because we're a, a comfortable church, we don't like doing it. Because it might ruffle some feathers. Or it might force us to have some difficult conversations. Or it might force us to to scratch beneath the masks and see what is really happening. But again, if we don't want sin to, to thrive behind these masks, then, then rebuking it and challenging it and getting to, getting to deal with it is vital for a healthy and, and active church. Sometimes people need that step. They just need that step in order to get some help. And to, and to recover. Sometimes we can't do it by ourselves. We need a friend beside us. And that friend, and being that friend, might help somebody's life, might save them. But also, the, the major, the major difference, as we talked about on the cross, and I, I think we had the answer earlier, is that we have now a new life in the spirit. And we have this new life. And with God's help, we can overcome sin when it rears its ugly head. Let's have a quick look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. 
So it says in chapter 8, verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now the interesting thing is we can actually feed the different natures that live within us. We can set our minds on things of the flesh, or we can set our minds on the things of the spirit. And actually by doing this, we encourage one or the other to grow in our lives, don't we? So, as an interesting example, my wife used to listen to a particular, I forget the name of the band, whoever it was, she used to listen to this band when she was younger. And she found that as she listened to it, it actually made her quite cross and grumpy. And and uh, she was trying to work out why it was. And then when she sort of read the lyrics of this band, she realised actually it was it was pretty demonic, it was pretty awful, and it was having this really negative effect on her. And now she's she stopped listening to that, so it's it's my job now to make her cross and grumpy instead. Um, there was another joke there, but if you laughed, <laughs> I think that one was a joke. Um, so, so sometimes these, if we feed these 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 the, the sort of flesh of our nature, if we feed it, then we realise actually surprisingly it grows. And it takes control of us. And sometimes the things that we, we feed ourselves, I think we, we know really that it's not particularly helpful. I know some of the things that I, I watch on the telly aren't particularly helpful. And I know that some of the things that I listen to aren't particularly helpful. And I know that they're, they're feeding the wrong part of me. And I'm not saying that we should stop watching telly and I'm not saying we should stop watching, listening to music at all. But we have this this conscience in our heads, don't we? This spirit which whispers to us. And I think we have this whisper which says, you know, Johnny, actually what you're doing is not very helpful. And when I, I know when I hear this whisper, I, it kind of makes me cross because actually I'm quite enjoying what I'm watching on the telly. <laughs> I think, oh, come on, God, it's been, a, it's been a long day. Can I just sit down and relax and watch this thing? And I, this whisper sort of nags at me and it says... Johnny, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna help your thought life. This isn't gonna help you worship me. And so I get in a bit of a strop and I turn the telly off and I storm off somewhere. But actually, after a while, it is right. And I realise that the the wonder of worshipping God and being in relationship with God is is probably a little bit better than uh, what I was about to watch on the telly. And if we, the trouble is, if we start ignoring that, that voice, that spirit of the conscience that, that tells us, actually we can become dull to it. We can become dull to that challenge, dull to that um, consciousness that is there to, to help us. And when we become dull to it, we, we carry on feeding the sins of the flesh. So, don't feed the flesh. But feed the Spirit. How can we do that? How can we set our minds on things of the Spirit? What can we do to, to feed that nature instead of our fleshly nature? Read Scripture. Read Scripture. Read scripture. That's a good one. Read Scripture. That's very wholesome. Pray. We can pray. That's very good. We can connect with our Father. But the interesting thing about praying is, again in Romans, Paul carries on with this feeding the Spirit, and he talks about how our Spirit... We don't know what to pray for, but the spirit that lives in us, he can, he can connect with God and with words and groans and things that we don't understand. We can, 
we can feed our spirit by by the spirit. Does that make sense? I think we'll work that one out later. But there we go. But yes, praying is a fantastic is a fantastic suggestion. How else can we feed our spirit? Yeah, good one. Yeah, fellowship. That's excellent. And it's fantastic that we have an example of that now, the agape meal. Actually sharing with one another and building each other up is really good. And maybe we could do some rebuking as well over the over the ticket. You never know. We shall see. If, a, if arguments break out, you'll know that that's what's happening. <laughs> and actually the fellowship is good, but fellowship with a purpose. Actually, the fellowship... We're supposed to build one another up with psalms and spiritual songs, aren't we? And actually, we're supposed to encourage one another. with. And again, because we're a comfortable church, we feel a bit silly doing it. We feel like it's going to step on someone's toes or offend someone. But actually, we can build each other up by by, uh, encouraging one another, reminding each other about the goodness of God and how he will look after us and how he is good. So, again, instead of arguments, let's sing spiritual songs to each other over chicken so we can have lots of songs going on while we eat. That sounds much better. Okay, this is good. What, how else? How else can we set our minds on things of the Spirit? Worship. Oh, worship. What a good, what a good suggestion. Yes. How does, how does worship help? So you didn't think I was going to ask a full-up question, did you, Graham? Focus is reminded Yeah. Yeah, it does. It focuses our mind on God, reminds us how glorious he is. But actually, it's even more fundamental than that, because actually it's what we were designed to do in the first place, living out our vocation as Christians. This is our new life, worshipping God, reflecting the image of God. This is our new life. This is what we were called to do, and doing it feeds the, this, the, the life in the spirit. Any other suggestions? These are all very good. What else can we do? Very good. Enjoy God's creation. So, so sometimes being out in nature, probably perhaps not when it's pouring down with rain, but in, you know, celebrating what He's made because what He's made is good, and being part of it and enjoying it. I like that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, sort of the the meditation and the and the enjoying him and just being with him. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. Anything else? One that has just occurred to me is also when we talk about vocation, worshiping God. Actually, our vocation is reflecting the image of God as well. And when we are, when we do what Jesus would do. Actually, that connects us to the life of the Spirit as well. When we're kind to the poor, and when we pray for the sick, and when we speak a, a, a comforting word to those in need, and when we, when we give generously, when we forgive, these are all things that connect us to the life of the Spirit. But when we hold on to grudges, and, or when, we, when we're not generous, when we're selfish, these are all things that connect us to the fleshly nature and cause the fleshly nature to go. Our vocation is to be Jesus in the world. So, live the life of the Spirit and do not feed the the fleshly nature. So, I'm coming up to the conclusion, but uh, the danger here 
is that we are comfortable Christians. And this is where I want to link it back to my, to the beginning, really, to the introduction. This is, this has been my journey. I'm aware that I am a comfortable Christian. And the trouble with being a comfortable Christian is that we're quite happy to, or we're comfortable, that sin is living in our lives. And I think that God has been challenging me about this recently. Sin that has been, that I've been comfortable to live with for, for quite a few years. And God is saying, hang on a minute, what is going on here? And God has been challenging me about that. Why am I comfortable with it? Why have I lost my zeal to, to be holy for God? Why have I lost my love for him that wouldn't, that wouldn't want to hurt him with this sin that's, that's in my life? And that is interesting because when Paul writes, he says that we, we cannot live with sin. We cannot live in the same place. And he's not saying that we won't ever sin, but he's saying that we, when we do sin, actually we recognize it for what it is. That's what it means to, to live in the light. When John writes about being children who live in the light, it's not that we never sin and we don't have anything bad with us. It's actually because when we're in the light, we can see sin for what it is. And we're not, we're not happy with it. We can see it that it's ugly and that it controls us and that it destroys. And being in the light lets us see those things so that we can deal with it. That is what not living in sin is all about. And But being a comfortable Christian means that we sort of lack that zeal for holiness. And perhaps we lack the love that drives us to, to want to be holy. And in some odd ways, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but somehow, in some ways, the way that we present the gospel makes us sort of ignore sin. I'm going to explain that a little, because the way that we present the gospel is that uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and it means that we can go to heaven. That that sounds like a sort of summary, does it? But actually, that, that gospel presentation kind of misses quite a major chunk of what the New Testament is writing about. It's not just so that we can go to heaven. Actually, there's a huge chunk in between that, which is which is our lives now as Christians. And actually, Jesus went to the cross not just to, so that we could have a way to heaven. I mean, that, that's great, and that will be amazing. He did say there'll be lots of rooms in his mansion for us, so that's good. But actually, it was so that we could be free to live the vocation that God has called us to live. It's not just about going to heaven. Actually, now we're called to be God on earth, to recreate heaven on earth. And sometimes our, our sort of focus on, oh, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to heaven, and we'll just, we'll just sort of hang around until that happens on earth. It kind of makes us a bit blasé about sin. So, well, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Jesus still loves me, I'm going to heaven. It's not going to make much difference. And that's, that's kind of true, but it's also really missing the point about what Jesus did on the cross. Actually, sin is, is a big deal. It stops us living the life that we've been called to live since we became a Christian. We don't want anything to get in the way of that. It, will, it destroys our testimony. It grieves the spirit. And it hands back power to these things that, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from. Sin is a big deal. And I don't want to be, um, you know, send anyone an un- unnecessary guilt trip. You know, we have, we have forgiveness and we can confess and we have forgiveness straight away. But actually also I don't want to play down how 
big a deal sin is. We do not want to get comfortable with sin in our lives. Do not get comfortable with sin, but confess straight away. So I want to have a time of of response. I think it's it's really a fantastic that we're having communion today, and we can we can meditate on these things, and we can examine our hearts, and and we can ask for forgiveness. That is the the wonderful thing about being a Christian. So there are three kind of responses that we might have this morning. The first is that we have hope. We have hope because it says in John that. If we confess our sins, then he will cleanse us. That's, that's what it says. And if we're struggling with sin this morning, we have a, we have a God who is sympathetic to us. We have a God who is forgiving. But there's also a warning as well, isn't there? There's a warning. Do not get comfortable with sin. And I think perhaps there are some, here, who have been comfortable with sin in their lives and been comfortable with it for a while. This, this is like me, I'm preaching to myself as well and aren't really bothered by sin. But we read in the Bible, in 1 John again, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. That's quite a powerful verse, isn't it? We are overcomers of sin. We're not slaves to it any longer. We do not keep on sinning. And the third thing is is that there is power available for us. And there might be some here who feel trapped in sin, who haven't got any idea how they can escape from sin in their lives. It's become such a habit over the years, or it's become an addiction, or it's become something too big to handle. There is power today to overcome, to confess, and to be free. So let's meditate on those things. As we, as we come to communion now, and as we, as we come to a God who is holy and loving and gracious and willing to forgive and willing to change our lives, let us come to him who loves us and thank him for what he did on the cross for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you.